0: Well, the most important thing is the sense of no one will come to solve your problems. And the story that you create about your life has to be the story that you decide, the story that you tell. So the main characters in the show will come to face their deepest fears and they will basically die and come back to life by facing those fears and understand that there is no reason to run away from your fears. That the only way, true fear, is by going right at it.
1: Uvanga Kanik. I'm Alice kanik Glenn, an Inubek writer, podcaster, and activist from Utkervik, Alaska, and this is the True Detective Night Country podcast. As the final chapter in Night Country unfolds, we finally learn the truth about the mysteries in Ennis. As a reminder, if you haven't watched the finale, I recommend doing so before listening to this podcast as we will be discussing some spoilers. Part 6 opens as Danvers and Navarro discover an ice cave with an eerie presence. You feel it too, don't you?
2: It's slippery. Careful.
1: We're led deep underground... They come face to face with Clark, interrogating him on Annie Kaye's murder. Up to this point, we've known little about her death.
2: We weren't asking the right question. The question isn't who killed Annie Kay, but who knows who killed her.
1: The guilt weighs on Clark, and the truth comes to light. The relationship between Salal and the mine were mutually beneficial. Despite the environmental impact, the Salal lab encouraged more pollution from the mine because it helped them extract DNA from microorganisms frozen within. Their goal was DNA research that could potentially lead to cures to cancers. Clark explains that Annie Kay found out about the Salal scientists' tests and research. Knowing the toll it was taking on the community, she destroyed the scientists' research and they attacked and killed her. Hank disposed of her body. But what drove the Salal men to their fate? Our detectives find a handprint with missing fingers in the lab just like Blair's hand from the crab processing plant. It drives them to wonder if the women of the village had some involvement. Arriving at B's house, it's revealed that the elder women in Ennis knew the truth about Annie Kay all along. Because justice was never properly served, they decided to take it into their own hands. You killed the men? Honey,
3: they did it to themselves.
1: These ladies forced the Solal scientists at gunpoint to go out onto the ice and strip naked. They were then left to die. The revelation is complicated and an emotional roller coaster. Not only is the culprit a surprise, but the position it puts Danvers and Navarro in is nerve-wracking. How will they proceed knowing the truth? Sitting down with showrunner Issa Lopez, we asked her how she came up with this conclusion and the decision the detectives would ultimately make.
0: Well, that's a very crucial moment for both of my characters. When the final decision of, am I going to do my cop job here? Who was behind the deaths of the Salalmen. And this is what both characters, and Ambers in a specific, have been chasing the entire series, and it's right in front of them. And so she stands up, gives them the final version, which is, it has been established already, right? An avalanche, a weather event. Wishes them a happy new year and walks out of the room. And for Navarro, she stands in with her people, with her name and goes to them because now she's one of them and she's embraced by them. So that's the final circle for my characters. Jodie Foster
1: points out that Danvers' decision was really true to character for the detective.
2: Well, one of the bad parts about Danvers is her moral relativity. She has been willing, in some ways, to turn a blind eye to the law in order to seek justice. And she's done that in small ways. She intrudes into someone's home without a warrant. And the way she does that is she pretends that the person said, hey, come on in. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm coming in. We know that she's morally compromised in some ways. But it's mostly because the system has failed people. The system has failed her. The system has failed justice over and over again. So it's a bad part to Danvers that she's willing to cast aside the law in some ways in order to pursue justice. But in this circumstance... It felt true to character. She heard the story that B tells, and B very wisely tells it in a kind of roundabout way that could be seen as a third-person way. She has an out by saying it's just a story like many stories. She hears it, and she makes the decision to say, I, for one, will not pursue this because I feel like justice has been served.
1: The ending is not what anyone expected. Kaylee Reese and Jody remember how surprised they were the first time they read the script and the raw emotions it produced.
0: I did not see that coming, which is also one of the checklists to a good mystery. I did not see that coming, but I was like, this is so Native. This is so Indigenous. This is so strong, matriarch. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. We need more of this. And they were so badass with it. I'm like, they're doing their part. I was so excited. Like, I watched it with all of them just to get a little preview, and they were so excited. But then I'm
2: like, this is so how things work. Well, I didn't know it was coming. And yet, that's what's so fascinating about it, is that the culprit has been there all along. And yet, these women were invisible to us. The audience was watching them, was looking at them, and they remained invisible. And I think that's very interesting symbolically about Native faces and voices that they're not paid attention to, that they're ignored, and yet they're there in the midst of everything, but they're the people who are willing to go to the dark place in order to make things right. I think that was so powerful and I did not see it coming and I didn't read it until you know much later on in the process and I remember reading episode six and just like sending a text to Isa going like, what? Yeah, my mind was completely blown.
1: Justice is delivered, but not in the way we all thought it may come. Executive producer Mary Jo gave insight about this major reveal and how it was actually hinted all
4: along. It's a surprise and it's not a surprise, right? If you watch closely to the show, all of those women are in the show. In different forms. You see them in the background. Sometimes there's a scene with them. They're very present, but they're very much sort of in the background, right? So it was almost like, this happened. What are we going to do about it? We can't go to law enforcement. They're not going to listen to us. We have to take justice in our own hands. Here's what we're going to do, you know? And I just love the surprise of it. I just feel like there's something so genius about the people who are sort of unassuming and i think it's such a brilliant surprise and i think it is a testament to these communities not feeling empowered to go to law enforcement or that anything's going to actually get done you know it's so layered it really feels like a true justice moment in b's house when danvers and navarro make the decision to walk away because they know
1: throughout the series Annie Kay's tongue has been a stark reminder of her violent end when we talked I asked Isa about the symbolism of the tongue and what it's meant to illustrate
0: well the tongue is a part of our body that tells the stories and in the end yes B says it's just a story but the most important thing in the world are stories what outlasts us what guides us what makes us our identities, our ideas of ourselves, are our stories. So it's just a story, but stories are everything. So that power was taken from Annie. And however, that tongue is left there to tell a story. And that's the story that we tell.
1: In a way, Annie K's death opened the door for her story to be told and for vindication to be found through the women of Ennis. Issa dubbed them the Justice Ladies.
0: It was very, very important for me to create a difference between the stories that we've seen in media about missing and murdering Indigenous women, where police enforcement comes and solves the crime, (laughs) which is not the way it's working in many cases. You know, sometimes, yes, but in most cases, that's not how it works. I didn't want to tell a story of my cops coming into town and going like, oh, we figured it out and we took the bad guy, because that's not how it happens. And I didn't want anybody saving the indigenous women because that's not how it works. And in the end, the power of telling the stories in a different way is in our hands. A massive part of my mission from the beginning, since I decided that I was going to tell a story that in part belonged to people who are not my people, was for me to open that space for the characters that belong to this Inupia community to take the place that belongs to them. So that's not me. That is the Inupia community standing up and taking those places that belongs to them. And I'm very, very proud that I was able to to put it in the series, that dignity, that profound, profound dignity.
1: I spoke to these justice ladies to get their feelings on how the series concludes and what it felt like to be part of that powerful scene.
3: I think every character I play, there's always something I find in myself that goes into that character. This is
1: Diane Benson, who played B, the leader of The Justice Ladies.
3: I am a protective type of person and always happen about my family and the kids. And so I guess uh, in some ways, I'm not too far away from her. (laughs) I grew up around a lot of violence. I was left for dead myself at 18. I had a a friend. The three of us went out one night. Two of us returned. And then I saw her body on the news the next day. So it's like having to try to keep that stuff in its place while I perform this role, because the whole Annie Kate thing really brought up a lot for me. And at one point we gathered in a circle. I just really wanted to get everybody together and just kind of center ourselves as Indigenous women on this set. I really felt like we really supported each other.
1: The Justice Ladies were compelled to use any means necessary in their fight for justice. It's an ending that may feel controversial to some viewers. Despite the violent end, Diane said it felt justified to film that final scene.
3: I was in it. I mean, I was in the moment, I was in the scene, I was in the character, I was nothing else but her at that moment. Because for me it was all about Annie Kay. You know, somehow it just felt awful right.
1: In many ways, watching that scene felt right to me too. Annie Kay represents women in our community who are lost to violence. Our mothers, sisters and friends. The Justice Ladies represent the aunties of the community who know the truths and recognize that justice doesn't always come from the outside. Tanya Tarak, another member of the Justice Ladies, shared what it was like to bring this reality to the screen.
0: Also, there's this like idea to take
5: everything back and like all the frustrations of colonialism, racism, like just in this little pocket of being able to just fictionally shoot this scene there was a lot of power behind how all of us justice ladies were feeling in that moment like we were exhilarated excited empowered like it felt very very good shooting that scene and
6: it was fun to be allowed to be angry at men and feel dangerous In that scene, it made me feel we got our power back. I felt empowered by that. Yari Walker played Lou, another justice lady. Even if it seems unfortunate that these scientists were taken by us, in the end, we took our power back. These ladies were the protectors of their
1: community. Yari shared how she has the same mindset.
6: I have two teenage girls and the girls are not allowed to go anywhere alone, not even in the daytime. They have to always be with somebody. I'm very protective of the girls. We've gone through scenarios like, if this happens, this is what you should do. And it's so unfortunate that I have to educate my girls because we as Alaska Native girls and women, we are targets. I have my reasons to worry. I've had cousins that were murdered. I have a niece that's gone missing. And then recently, one of my nieces murdered just a few days ago. I have my reasons to worry. And I have my reasons why I'm very protective of the girls. And that's why these rules are in place. It's for their safety. So... I take that extra measure to educate the girls about what MMIWG stands for. I made the girls watch some films on human trafficking to educate them. So we take the time to educate even our son. And we told him, you you are the protector. You're the oldest one. Your job is to protect the girls and make sure they are safe. Missing and murdered Indigenous
1: women, or MMIW, is a growing problem. The unfortunate reality is that Alaska Natives are more likely to be a victim of violent crime than any other racial group. For decades, Native American and Alaska Native communities have struggled with high rates of assault, abduction, and murder. It's a serious issue that Issa was committed to representing in the series.
0: There is a feeling of, oh, it's the way the world works. You know, it's not okay. But women are devoured by the world, and we live with it. We allow it to happen, and it's not okay. I think that, you know, the fragility of being a woman anywhere in the world and how complicated it is to take a stand when you're a woman. I mean, take a stand is always a complicated thing, no matter who you are. When you're a woman is incredibly more difficult. When you're a woman of color that's incredibly more difficult. It's not there to create compassion. It's there to represent what's happening in the world every day. And I love the idea of saying these things in the context of an entertaining story. And then you can make people think if you make them feel. Jodie Foster remembers
1: learning about missing and murdered Indigenous women and how it connected with her as she prepared for the
2: series. I think, like many of us, The history didn't trickle up to me until, you know, for a while. And um, the one beauty of the internet is that you get information, you know, that you wouldn't have gotten your classic education. So I have been looking into our history. I did know a bit about missing and murdered indigenous women. It's, yes, it is heartbreaking and terrible and shocking, but it isn't surprising because our culture decides who matters and who doesn't matter, whose life matters and whose life doesn't matter. And women have always been among the people that didn't matter. And Indigenous women, of course, have the double burden of prejudice. And this show explores that, and I think it explores it sensitively and in the right spirit.
1: The hope is that the series raises awareness about the reality of missing and murdered Indigenous women.
4: I think it's going to actually create a lot of conversation, right? You know, there's many marginalized communities that have a deep distrust of government, corporations, law enforcement. But I think you can appreciate the frustration that these communities have when they're not heard or they don't feel safe or they don't feel that they can trust the institutions that have been put upon them. Indigenous communities have been calling
1: for justice for many years. It's become normal for cases not to be investigated or even covered by local media. Law enforcement and criminal prosecution address hunting violations more quickly than cases of homicide against Indigenous people. This forces our communities to be the loudest voice in the room regarding MMIW. The problem is, without having accurate data available, it's hard to know just how big of an issue it is.
5: So, Uvanga uh, Charlene Apak, an Siska Chinik Mugarunga Natchervik Apak is Naga Evan So, in my Yupik language, I shared my name is Charlene Apak. My Anupak name is Akpik. Charlene Apak is a recognized leader in our Native community
1: in Alaska. She's very active, and I've been fortunate to cross paths with her over the last few years. I sat down with her to learn more about the work she's doing at the nonprofit Data for
5: Indigenous Justice. We started to track and and home the data for what was happening here in Alaska because there wasn't anywhere else that was doing it. You know, back in 2018, there was a rally at the Alaska Federation of Natives and grassroots organizers wanted to call attention to the issue and they wanted to read the names of loved ones only to find there was no list. There was no one tracking. The state wasn't tracking. And so with our family and our communities, they came forward and shared their stories and they shared the names of all their loved ones that had gone missing or murdered. And that began the database that we had. That began the tracking. And then in 2020, I really saw the need and that we could take that information and call for justice. In 2020, Data for Indigenous Justice was
1: created to advocate for change by accurately reporting this widespread issue. Their mission is to work with Alaskan communities identifying the roots of the MMIW problem.
5: So this is a movement to call attention to the disproportionate rates, the high rates of missing and murdered Indigenous people, particularly femme-identifying people. And the roots of this disproportionate violence that we experience and face is rooted in colonization. With ongoing violence today, we still face this crisis, right? And it shows up in lots of different ways. We see it across different nations. It's not just here in Alaska, it's in the lower 48, it's in Canada and it's related to racism, sexism and those intersections of injustice. And it ultimately leads to plain and simple, just more rates of missing and murdered Indigenous people. It's an important responsibility
1: that Charlene takes to heart.
5: The more knowledge we have, the more knowledge I personally learn and hear from our families, I hold that really close to my heart. And with that, there's a huge responsibility. Someone just shared a part of themselves with me. And I'm responsible then to do it justice. I'm responsible then to carry that forward when I'm speaking on interviews, when I meet with representatives. I then represent all these stories and voices, and I don't take that lightly.
1: The work for Data for Indigenous Justice also includes creating a safe place for survivors and their families. They stress the importance of local law enforcement using data to help combat the problem. Thankfully, Charlene and her team are not alone in the fight.
7: Well, I have an undergraduate degree from the University of Texas in communications with a film and broadcasting emphasis. I came to Alaska with the idea of being a cocktail waitress for the summer. That was in 1979. That led to my first documentary, which is called No Word for Rape. This is Mary Katsky. Mary finds herself
1: on a very different path than she envisioned 40 years ago. But through her nonprofit, Affinity Films, she creates media that makes a difference in the world. Through her team's many projects, she's helped to document the sobering reality about violent crimes happening in
7: Alaska. I had worked for a women's crisis center for the first year I was here doing their media. And I realized every time I went out to do a presentation, they brought up the same questions. And I thought, well, instead of repeating myself every time I go out, I'd do a documentary film on that. And that film was used statewide for 20 years. I was lucky enough
1: to link arms with Mary and Affinity Films to work on the Save Our Sisters campaign, the Resolve podcast, and their documentary, No Word for Rape. These resources focus on missing and murdered indigenous women highlighting the problems of sexual assault
7: in our region. At that time, we had the highest rape per capita rate in the nation. And the message was to dispel all of the myths and to shift the paradigm to understanding that it's about the lack of accountability up here. But then you look also at why don't women report? And the burden gets put on her shoulders to prove that a wrongdoing happened. It's not enough for her to just say it happened or ask for help or have a lab test, it has to be proven. And so many times women went for help and were turned away, were dismissed as having a substance abuse problem or being mentally off or they didn't have time for it. So all those things factor into why it continues to perpetuate who wants to report if it's not going to be taken seriously and it's just going to make you a bad person in your community.
1: In Alaska, there's a long history of Native people being exploited, displaced, and denied justice. It's important to understand
7: all of this to properly address our current issues. It's not deemed a priority, which is why it's so important that as many people as possible are talking about it, working on it, and telling stories, and making posters, and getting flyers out at the airport, and doing everything we can to talk about it. This is absolutely going to help. If our justice system could be a little more responsive, first of all, we'd have less crime because we'd have more reporting and more conviction. And then on just on a a personal level, the juries that go in and listen to these, if they come into it with a more solid background of the depth of the problem and all the different levels that go into making this condition, then that could promote systemic change
1: we maintain hope that change will come through civil institutions designed to protect and serve us. But as Charlene sees it, the focus should be on local communities.
5: There are so many people doing such good work up here and that's who needs support. Get behind indigenous leadership. There are such good leaders here from tribal leadership to youth leadership. There's amazing, badass Indigenous women across the state who, I mean, are just doing amazing work. And that's who we want to invest in. That's who we want to trust their leadership and their brilliance because their community is behind them. We're the ones that are also creating solutions, who are making new pathways. We're the ones that are seeing a new future that needs to be invested and supported in. And yet we see that it's Indigenous women who are most likely to not get funded but we're closest to the solutions. We really are, we're living it every day. And each of our communities are so different. That's the other thing, right? There's 229 recognized tribes up here, just in Alaska. Justice and solutions are gonna look very different, but we want it to be community-led because those are the people who who know best what's gonna be for them.
1: There are many ways that you can support the ongoing efforts to overcome the generational trauma of colonization, combat the issues that lead to violence, and help preserve our environment and culture. You can make a difference by learning more and supporting organizations on the ground in Alaska fighting for change. If you're looking for a place to start, you can check out max.com forward slash true dash detective dash night dash country for more information The Night Country team has partnered with these organizations to generate more awareness about the issues impacting communities in Alaska. Night Country ends as the sun rises in Ennis. The long night has come to an end. The terror surrounding the mine in the Solal lab is now over. Our detectives have finally found closure. Navarro is walking. She's still hearing voices, but they are sweet. Danvers is with Leah, who now has permanent Inuit tattoos on her face. It seems a new chapter is beginning for them. The scars our detectives have worn have finally found healing. There's no denying that Night Country touches on themes that are uncomfortable to talk about. Issa reflects back on the series, stressing the importance of staying true to her sole agenda.
0: My profession is the weirdest profession because when people come to me and say this hurt... Or this made me sad, or this broke my heart, or this scared me. I feel that I accomplished something. We need to touch nerves in what we do and in the stories we tell to create reactions, to stay in memories, to prompt a different response the next time we hear about something like this. The spirit that I want people to be able to walk away after seeing the series, the spirit of these indigenous characters, is of power and of joy and of humor, because that's my experience of working with the Inupiaq. And the spirit of profound dignity and endless community, all of that is what I think is the most powerful message that I want to put out into the world more than the pain and the hurt. The pain and the hurt are there, and it's very important to talk about it, but what I want to say at the very end, always, is look at the joy. Look at the joy that I saw, and the power that I saw in these characters. It's a show that is about the night, and the night ending, and what is on the other side, and how characters at that point are looking at the sun and the horizon. And that should be us. And that's why more than talking about pain or suffering or struggles, I wanna talk about power and joy and the power to change the stories about ourselves.
1: When most people think about Alaska, they think of beautiful, untouched landscapes. But there's a stark contrast between the beauty of Alaska's nature and the many issues that indigenous people face. True Detective Night Country was a fictional series that highlighted real problems in our world. As you watched this series, you saw heartbreak, darkness, and sadness. But you also saw strength, joy, and a love for our culture and community. For far too long, our voices were left unheard. This series helps to change that pattern. It's important to remember that we are not solely defined by the issues or struggles that we face. We're leading the charge to combat the challenges in our communities. We are proud people. And we know that even in the deepest darkness, the light always returns. Thanks for listening to the official True Detective Night Country podcast. A special thank you to the True Detective Night Country team, our special guests and contributors. And to you, our listeners. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. I hope this podcast encourages you to become more understanding of those around you and look for ways to empower others. True Detective Night Country Podcast is produced by Tenderfoot Labs for HBO. From HBO, executive produced by Becky Rowe, produced by Allison Cohen and Kenya Reyes, and visuals by Linda Gao, Kindle Thomas, Tom Haskard, and Eden McDevitt. From Tenderfoot Labs, executive producers are Alex Vespested and Donald Albright. Hosted and produced by myself, Alice Khanik-Glenn, Writing by Alice Connick-Glenn and John Street. Our lead producer is John Street. Our producer is Jamie Albright. Production manager is Tracy Kaplan. Edit and mix by Dayton Cole. Score is by Vince Pope and Makeup and Vanity Set. Production assistants are Annie Reston and Sina Pritchard. Production coordinator is Jordan Foxworthy. Special thanks to Frostline Studios Anchorage, Jambox Studio, Audio Ruckus, Repercussion Studios, and Paramount Recording. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts and stream True Detective Night Country exclusively on Max. We'd love it if you could take a second to review us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment to share your thoughts on the show.